kind, very kind, very kind, very kind. No, st stay on your feet. Stay on your feet. Uh, stay, stay on your feet, just not for me. Uh, we're going to stand for something else. Anyway, great day. I just sent a text to uh, Dr. Uh, Gordon Anderson. I sent him a little video, and I told him I was thinking about him big time this morning, that he could see this. He would be so proud and so excited to see this room uh, the way it looks right now, and just the energy level is huge in this place. And so uh, it's a great, great day. I was thinking about my first day in college, 1980, I think that might have been before your parents were born. I don't know. Now, I could be your, your I can't be your grandparent. My oldest grandkid is, is uh, two, so, but I can be almost everybody's parent in this room. Um, but my first day, I was 17. I was at Bethany Bible College, my very first day of class. How many are already behind in your reading? I'm just kidding. It's only this morning. Come on, come on, come on. I just want to meet the person who took their first chapel skip today. I, I want to meet them. Go, we need to go find them. Bring him up here. But my first day of class, my roommate, uh, I would never throw him under the bus. His name is Dennis Reynolds. Uh, um, he's actually become a great pastor. But he was a senior. A, a, the last half of his senior year was that semester in the fall of 80. He'd be graduating in December. And they stuck me yeah, with him. I was 17. So I was with this totally old, old dude. Like he was 22 or something. I forget what, how old he was. But the first day of school, the alarm went off, and he leaned over and gave me some great wisdom as a fifth-year or last-semester senior. He rolled over, the alarm hit, he goes, oh, bro, I took that class. You can blow it off. You don't need to go. I went, what? What? This is my very first day. So I, 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 I wasn't that mature, but I did get out of bed. So don't be that roommate. If your roommate told you today to skip anything, just uh, roll your eyes at him. So I'm glad that you are here uh, his name again is Dennis Reynolds. He pastors in um, Brentwood, California, and uh, he's a great leader, great friend, but he did tell me to skip class my first day of school. So, Anyway, there's four ways that God is after us before we sit down, four ways that, he, that life and the Lord get our attention and speak to us and take us beyond that scene in Psalm 78, verse 9. Very famous little verse, it changed my life. I found it years ago. It says that the sons of Ephraim, one of the great tribes of Israel, were archers equipped with bows, which means these people were known for being a, a valiant, phenomenal fighting force. The sons of Ephraim, tens of thousands of offspring from Ephraim, this tribe is settled in the land of promise. It says they were especially trained uh, in how to be archers and trained to use bows. But then the second half of the verse says, but in the day of battle, they turned and ran. So you can be totally equipped up here and totally void in here. We can give you a phenomenal degree, which we're going to give you in the next four years at some point, because you're here to get your degree. You're going to graduate. And when you get that degree, you can be equipped up here, like the Ephraimites, archers, but when you actually get into the stress and the reality and the demands of life, your heart can melt. The reason we gather here is one of the few universities left in the United States of America that has a setting like this, with this kind of intensity, 
is because we know it takes more than up here. It takes in here if you're going to be sustainable and go the distance for the rest of your life. And when you became a Christian early, you're saying, okay, for the next 50 to 60 years of my life, God, I'm going to live pure. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to honor you for decades in my life. It's not like you're getting saved at 60 or 70. You get saved at 17, 18 and dedicate your life to the Lord. You're making a massive commitment with the rest, with the rest of your years. It's going to take something on the inside of your heart uh, so that it doesn't melt in the day of battle. So here's how God works, has worked in my life. There's four ways that he talks to us. Number one is through our conscience. So when nobody's around, nobody's monitoring you, you've been mentored, not monitored, and you're able, when you're all by yourself with no one looking, you can have a conversation with God and he wins. Your conscience is where he speaks to you. So we are building into you a sense of walking with God alone. Even though you're in this phenomenal setting, you're in a classroom, you're in a, these beautiful cohorts and relationships and friendships, at the end of the day, can you walk with God? Can I walk with God with, when no one's looking, when nobody's around? So he speaks to our conscience. Then he also speaks through counsel, godly counsel. I've never, I've never looked at anybody who asked for help as weak in my life. So seeking godly counsel, he, he uses your conscience, but then he also uses counsel. Sometimes you don't quite know, so you get some smart people around you that love the Lord, and you seek counsel. And then the third way that he talks to you, if you don't listen to your conscience and you don't listen to counsel, then he starts to use correction. And so sometimes people don't listen until they're corrected. Their conscience is not paying attention. They don't seek good counsel. So now correction. But some people blow off correction. And God uses stage four, which is calamity, to get our attention. I found this in my life. Uh, conscience, counsel, correction, and calamity. So that's why we have to learn to listen early in the process. And what these chapels, what this university is all about is cultivating a godly conscience. Because your conscience, friends, a clear conscience, not your giftings, a clear conscience is what's going to give you confidence and courage to go. The, it's what makes the difference in the day of battle between being just equipped outwardly and being able to really stand the heat and to be brave and courageous. So I'm praying that I don't have to have calamity happen before I listen to God. I don't even want to have to have correction happen very often in my life. I want godly counsel, and I want a clear conscience that the Holy Spirit can speak to. So, Lord, I just pray, Lord, as we just cultivate and incubate, God, a generation of leaders, Lord, that are going to water the earth, God, out of this house, as they have, Lord, for many, many decades. But, Lord, I pray that you would take it to a level that we have never dreamed. Father, use the university, use the setting, God, use the sacredness of the classroom, the sacredness of the dorm room, and the sacredness of this room. These three rooms, Lord, my dorm room, my classroom, and this room, Lord, that I worship in. Father, I pray that all three of those domains, Lord, you would be Lord and that I would experience kingdom life and I would grow. Lord, take away apprehension and fear today. And Lord, we just love you and thank you for this beautiful opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Okay, you can be seated real quick. God bless you guys. We have got some world-class leaders uh, planned to be here. This year, great speakers. We want to bring the best of the best. Some of them are local. Some of them are from different parts of the world that are coming. Um, but I just really believe that this university is such a profound incubator of, of people's lives and leadership and that we just got some crazy, wonderful stuff in store. So here's an opening verse I want to read uh, together. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen. So you're able to see through the natural into the invisible. I know it sounds very mysterious. How do we see invisible things? By seeing natural things, but we see the invisible nature power and dominion of God through what he has made. And it's not even fuzzy. The Bible says it's clearly been seen, being, made, being understood through what has been made, creation, so that they, the world, are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchange the glory of an incorruptible God. Now this is crazy. Most people never catch this in the Bible. We talk about idolatry a lot of times, and we think of like some big sphinx head or a carved, you know, some bird or something crazy from Egypt. Do you know the first idol that we create when we abandon God in our affection and honor? And to honor God is simply, it simply recognizes that he came before me and he is above me. When you honor your parents, you're saying that they came before me, I came after them, and I serve, and they came above me and before me. To dishonor somebody is to remove them from that place of before and above. So when we take God out of the before and above, something else has to slip into that space. It's interesting that the first idol that human beings create is they carve an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So the first thing that we worship when we displace God is we worship ourselves. And I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about the difference between a reputation and an image. So I want to give you the nerd word for 2017. I love nerd words. I'm in a PhD program, and this one really isn't too nerdy. I got some crazy ones coming for you. But this is an important word that I want to get into your vocabulary, into your heart. The idea is, comes from this Latin word magis, which is this beautiful idea of better than before, not better than you. So when we think about improvement and growth, we oftentimes compare ourselves to somebody that's nearby. In the minute that I compare myself to somebody else, I lose my way. I never stay on track when I'm comparing myself to somebody else. So magis is this, is this wonderful word. It means more for the glory of God, something better for the glory of God. But the idea is that I am competing not against you. I'm competing against the potential of what I can become. I see my unrealized potential, not in a condemning, defeating way, but I, I, I'm really growing and striving in the Lord uh, running like a runner, boxing uh, with skill, all of those things that exert effort and discipline so that I can fulfill and close the gap of who God created me to be. Totally different than comparing yourself to somebody that's nearby. And this is a total plague in our generation. It's not just a millennial plague. It's, 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 a, it's a plague for all of us, baby boomers or gen, whatever we're called. I'm very aware of all the successful people around me. That's really the cancer of the internet. It's made me highly aware. So I start competing against you. And I compare myself to you 
and I see your highlight reel, not your daily grind. ESPN never shows the daily grind. They just show the dunk. And that's all we show of ourselves as our, as our highlight. So we begin to think that's the norm for those around me compared to my slow, unrealized, daily, nobody's noticed me yet. And the devil begins to pound on your mind and your heart and begins to make you feel as though you are an utter failure. So magus is a beautiful word. It's a Latin word that means better than before, not better than you. So I am growing. I am improving. But I'm not measuring that against my peer. And you're going to hear me say this a million times. Nobody's success is robbing your potential. Nobody that's around you that's succeeding is robbing anything from you or I. So anyway, okay, so every time we meet for chapel, uh, I, I want to download maybe two or three what I would consider some very critical ways to think about, about leadership. And then we're going to get into our text here. And these are about 20, 25-minute uh, mini-messages because uh, we have school today. And then praise gathering is a time where there's really no restraint. Um, but, but I just want to share some things about leadership. And you guys can kind of keep these written down somewhere. I put these on our, our Twitter and, and, and Instagram stuff. So let's become friends at that level. I like to talk on leadership, talk to the school that way. So here's the first thing I want you to know about leadership. If it will click, there it is. Let's go back. You know the greatest gift in life is to be free of your secrets. A lot of students come to a college like this, and it's a fresh start. How many are glad for a new beginning, a fresh start? Like, yeah, I see a fresh start. Like if they were, when I was being interviewed for the presidency, they were checking me all the way back to when I was 20. And like when I was in college talking to the people I went to college with. I'm 50, I'm turning 55, I was 17. And I said, please tell me, you're not gonna contact my high school because if high school's not under the blood, then who has a chance? How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> high school's got to be under the blood of Jesus. How many are thankful that high school's under the blood? <laughs> now here's the goal. We don't want too much of college to be under the blood, okay? Hallelujah. I don't want you leaving here in four years needing a fresh start. I want you to leave with momentum, a clear conscience, a new experience in your life. I don't want you to graduate, oh, man, I just got out of college. I just need a new start. Everybody there, I hate them, and they hate me, and we all just, we just, oh, I just need to move away to a strange new start. What? You don't want to start your post-college life like that. We're going to do everything we can to set you up for momentum when you graduate from this university. One of the greatest things is to be free of secrets. So here's what we're going to make a covenant. I'm not going to build secrets. You're not going to build secrets at this university. Because if you have to manage your secrets for the rest of your life, you'll be dead by 50, 60. It, it, you'd be dead of anxiety. So don't accumulate secrets. The greatest gift right now is that you're free of secrets. People with bazillion dollars would pay money for the guy who got caught. That guy's full of 
shame and despair temporarily because Jesus is helping him up and he's finally becoming the person that everybody thought he was. I love people that have been caught, like Moses, because that's typically the first place that you're taught is when you're caught. And when you're finally free of your secret, I mean, money can't buy that. So I just want to encourage you as you come on this campus to start this new year. Don't accumulate secrets because the greatest gift in life is to be totally free of secrets. Here's another one. Great leaders notice the positive before they notice the negative. It sounds so basic, but I really have seen a great difference in how people's lives have turned out on this one basic premise. When you meet somebody, when you have a situation going on, the people that lean into the negative before the positive They just seem to have this deteriorating influence over time. And people, though, that recognize, it's not that we're in denial of a problem that needs to be solved, but they recognize the potential, they recognize the positive that somebody's doing. I shared yesterday, even after a confrontation, always end with hope. Always. Pray with them. Talk with them. But I think that great leaders are people that I've been around that have noticed positive things before they notice negative things. You walk into a set and let's go, like, man, this is unbelievable. Instead of seeing the crack in the sidewalk, you look and see the beautiful skyline of Minneapolis at nighttime that's lit up. It's really, it's really crazy how this works. People that always see the crack in the sidewalk before the skyline, I see their life kind of play out and I see the struggle that they have to be influential for the kingdom of God. I believe great leaders always notice the positive before they notice the negative. Here's one last one. I deeply believe that the leader is the one who loves more, not the one who knows more. And that's why I've been praying and I've been sharing with our leaders here at the university that I really want to see our university be a leader in, obviously, education and teaching. That's the purpose of a university is teaching and that you earn that degree, and that we do that well, and that we start a relationship for the rest of our life in this room. Um, But it has to also be knitted together by love and by grace. And if it wasn't for people showing me love and grace between 18 and 21, there's no way I'm standing on this platform with you today. And so I believe the leader is the one who loves more, not the one who knows more. And so cultivate love in your heart for one another and especially for your enemies. It's not whether you love your neighbor or love the, the person next, whether you love your enemies and whether you serve them and seek to reconcile and take the wrong and see the larger picture than the little war that you're trying to win in that moment, learning how to let stuff go and be free of those emotions with other people. I believe that the leaders are the ones who love more, not the ones who who know more. Okay, here, real quick, here's the text I wanna read for you. Daniel chapter three. I'm going to just highlight, it's not up on the screen, and I wanna share with you three three quick things and pray over us in the next 10 minutes here. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar built a gold statue 90 feet high, nine feet thick. The guy was probably four foot 10, and he builds an image of himself that's 90 feet tall. We all do that. Nebuchadnezzar was just was like the, the precursor to social media right here. We always can create something larger than life. And he sent people out into the plains of Dura to the province of Babylon and ordered all the important leaders in the province, everybody who was anybody, to the dedication <clears throat> ceremony of the statue. 
They all came for the dedication, all the important people, and took their places before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar himself had built. A herald then proclaimed, attention everybody, every race, color, and creed. Listen, when you hear the band strike up all the trumpets and trombones, tubas and baritones, the drums and the cymbals, fall to your knees and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Anyone who does not kneel and worship shall be thrown immediately into a roaring furnace. Fascinating that he, that he told people to go worship the image, not him. And he was sending, him, sending the folks out to see something that was fraudulent, something that was manufactured, something that was counterfeit, instead of dealing with them face to face. The band played. It's a huge band equipped with all kinds of instruments. Everyone fell to their knees. Just then, some Babylonian fortune tellers stepped up and accused the Jews. They said to Nebuchadnezzar, long live you, O king. You gave strict orders that when the big band started playing, everyone had to fall to their knees, worship the gold statue. Whoever did not go to their knees and worship it had to be pitched into a roaring furnace. Well, there's some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who have... Uh, whom you have placed in high positions in the province of Babylon. These men uh, are ignoring you, O king. They don't respect your gods, and they won't worship the gold statue that you set up. Furious, the king ordered the three to be brought to him when the men were brought in. They said, is it true that you don't respect my gods and refuse to worship the gold that I've set up? I'm giving you a second chance to fully engage in my culture But from now on, when the band strikes, you must fall to your knees and worship the statue I've made. If you don't worship, you'll be pitched into the furnace, no questions asked. Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? The three answered the king, your threat means nothing to us. Teenagers. Three young men. You talk about speaking truth to power. I don't know of a a greater scene in all the Bible of these three speaking to the king. We've heard this from Sunday school, but watch this. If you throw us in the fire, then, then the God we serve can rescue us from the roaring furnace and anything else you might cook up. But, but even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference. Oh, king, we still won't serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. So Nebuchadnezzar, his face lit up with purple anger. He ordered the furnace fired up seven times hotter. Hands and feet bound, throws them in in such a hurry that the men who threw them in were killed by the fire. The fire raged. Suddenly the king jumped up in alarm. He said, didn't we throw three men bound hand and foot into the fire? That's right, O king, we did. But look, he said, I see four. Four men walking around freely in the fire, completely unharmed. And the fourth man looks like the son of God. Nebuchadnezzar went to the door of the furnace told the three to come out. They came out, all the important people, the government leaders, kings, counselors, gathered around to examine them, discover the fire hadn't so much as touched the three men. Not a hair was singed, not a scorch mark on their clothes, not even the smell of fire was on their clothes. And Nebuchadnezzar then began to worship the God of the the Hebrews. He He said he sent an angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They ignored the king's orders and laid their bodies on the line rather than serve or worship any god but their own. Therefore, I issue this decree. Anyone, anywhere of any race, color, or creed who says anything against the god of the Jews will be ripped to pieces limb from limb. Their house is torn down. 
That's a great evangelism uh, method here. <laughs> For there's never been a God who can rescue people like this. So here's my call to this university and to every leader in this room. From this point forward, I want you to build a reputation, not an image. There's a vast difference between a reputation and an image. Reputation is built differently than an image. An image can be constructed quickly. It can distort the reality of who you really are. A reputation has to do with two things, keeping your cool and keeping your promises. That's what a good name is based on. You keep your cool with people and you keep your promises with people, you'll be shocked at how you don't have to chase respect or demand respect. Honor will find you if you keep your cool and you keep your promises over time. And it will build a reputation instead of a false image. Again, because we feel we're competing to be better than you, not simply better than before. We then are afraid that other people are, are, are outpacing us. They're going to be first, um, and they're going to receive all the rewards. So we block their influence, and we try to diminish their life. And then we simultaneously try to then construct something about ourselves that will be so impressive from five miles away. A 90-foot image is different than a reputation. What God is giving you here at North Central and beyond is the secret keys for building a good name, not constructing a 90-foot temporary image of yourself. So every time we post and every time we do things, make it about other people, include them with you, talk about their lives, build a good name. And when people irritate you and disappoint you, frustrate you, don't lose your cool. Remember, if you scream and yell at somebody, it'll take them five years to forget that image. If you lie to them, it'll take them 10 years to forget it. The only way to push that lie or that outburst of anger off the headlines is through humility. You've got to humble yourself and give them a brand new experience with you. But if you lose your cool and snap at somebody, it takes them five years to forget your hothead. If you want to write that check, feel free. But if you're going to be a kingdom influencer, it's a terrible price to pay. We want to build a reputation a good name, not build an image. The second thing is God is attracted to bravery. God is attracted to the brave. When he sees our capacity, whether it's Daniel standing alone against the diet of Nebuchadnezzar and the teaching and the clothing in chapter 1 or the three Hebrews standing in unison with thousands of other young leaders, their peers who thought they were fast-tracking to greatness in that culture. But if this is the price we have to pay to be great in Babylon, we're not going to pay it. And they thought they were making their last decision of their life. Little did they know that the only three names that have ever been recorded in history from the plains of Dura today are not the ones who bowed their knee, thinking they were fast-tracking to Babylonian cultural greatness. Not one of those names is recorded. The only three that are left recorded are the ones who made a quality, brave decision for God in the face of their culture. God is attracted, so Jesus shows up in the fire because Jesus is attracted to bravery and courage. And here's the last one we're going to pray. you got to get this one. It's not about fighting culture. 
You guys, it's about rising above it. I had a picture of the day in prayer of the three Hebrews standing and everyone else is bowing in the face of this cultural uh, litmus test. And they said, you know what? We're down to three of us, but we're not going to fight it. We're simply going to rise above it. We're going to stand above it, not try to destroy culture, but simply rise above it. And sometimes the greatest way to engage an ungodly culture and to irritate Satan is not by fighting it. It's through non-participation with it. There's something powerful about non-participation in the cultural demands of what the world says. You better do this or you will be destroyed and erased. You have no future unless you bow to this cultural calling. Three people said, well, I guess it'll just be down to us three. And God allowed them to rise above culture, not fight it by that act of bravery. So I'm praying that for us today. Let's all stand. We got to pray here. And man, this is going to be crazy quick when we do these. So, so on Fridays or pretty much uh, Pastor Graham allowed us to, um, the team come up here, to kind of swap to me to do the opening Wednesday. And then um, he'll do Friday. And then I'll be speaking most all the Fridays between myself and Mrs. H. So somebody say, what do we call Karen? Just call her Mrs. H. And wait till you hear Mrs. H teach and preach. It's going to be uh, better than what I just did. Mark my word. Hallelujah. Can we just lift our hands to the Lord this morning? Lord, I just pray, God, a great grace, Lord, on these leaders today, Jesus. Father, we pray today that we would be free of secrets and that our season here at North Central would not be one of accumulating in our freedoms a new set of secrets. Lord, I pray that not one person would need a fresh start when they leave here. But Lord, they would leave with momentum. Momentum. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, Lord. Lord, I pray today that you would just pour out your goodness, Lord, every single day that we're in this chapel, God. Lord, enable us, God, to see the grace and the positive in people, not the negative. The grace and the positive, God, in this moment in our life, Lord, not the negative. Even though there's a problem we have to solve, Lord, let us see something. Let us see it differently. And Father, I just ask as well, Lord, that you would raise up a great university of love, biblical love, biblical love. We love the truth, Lord. Love rejoices in what's true. And Father, I just thank you today for the privilege of serving this school, Lord. And we give you praise in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Doug, why don't you come up? You want to, anything you want to give any direction here? We love you guys. How many got at least one thing today out out of chapel? Okay. We got, we got a million more things to talk about. So here we go. Hey, as we close.